Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Odyssey House Journals. I'm Randall Carlisle and my co-host, Rachel Santizo. Good morning. Good to have you here. This is one of the most watched and listened to podcasts dealing with addiction and recovery anywhere. And we have thousands and thousands of people watching and listening. So if you're one of them, we thank you very much. And if you'd like to just hit subscribe, no matter how you got into seeing us or listening to us, uh, then you'd be notified every time we we uh, publish a podcast. And we've done over, this would be 111, this will be our 112th podcast. Can you believe that? Wow. That's awesome. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's that's. Awesome. So, know, so like you it. you brought you invited our guest today. Would you like to introduce him? I would. So this is Lyle Gingell, and I actually had the pleasure of meeting him. We would meet every Saturday. Gingell. 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 Yes. Okay. Did wait? Did I say it right? No, or wrong? you said it right. Oh, I good. Because I, I wasn't I even sure. Got it wrong. <laughs> I don't even know. Anymore. Do you know who you are? <laughs> I do now. (laughs) I'll remind you. I'll remind you. Thank you. I I had the luxury of meeting him um, a while ago at FTR, Fit to Recover, and we would just work out, and him and his wife would show up, and he just has this presence about him. And I didn't even realize he was going to school, and he said that he wanted to do an internship, and the universe works in the best of ways. And he ended, yeah, he ended up applying to Odyssey House and now he works at my facility, Meadowbrook. And so without further ado, this is Lyle. Hello world. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us about your, uh, I I guess maybe start with your background, your past. Oh, wow. So this is like, you're in recovery, right? Yes, I am. uh, I'll have Four years on April 18th. Yes. Uh, and it took, I don't know. I took, it's been a lifetime because I've been going back kind of how we, uh, we look at clients having to do their autobiographies right. and everything. Right. And ever since Rachel invited me last week, I've been kind of doing my own mental autobiography okay. and mm. digging through everything. And it's brought up a lot of stuff and it's kind of mm. been uh, triggering, which is also like really good because it helps with my recovery further because we keep thinking that like we're in a good place with our recovery sometimes right. and then mm. something gets uncovered yeah. and it's good to come back to that and focus on it to do the work. Yeah. Uh, That's a good way of looking at it. You make yeah. me feel better because Rachel and I both are working on 10 years now. Yeah. And, but still yes. I have thoughts yeah. That, that I need to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, so go ahead. I still work in restaurants, so I'm triggered all the time. So. Yeah. Restaurants are the. I used to buy cocaine from somebody in a restaurant. Okay. Uh, and I. Oh, and the one time I wanted to try ecstasy, they said, "Well, try this person in a restaurant." Oh, absolutely. So yeah, yeah I, you want it, you can find it, especially yeah. since I'm up on Park City and Main Street. You, you know, uh, a Park City restaurant. We're Everything. not trying to indict anybody in Park City restaurants, but right. drugs are easily available. Uh, the term is it snows all year round. <laughs> uh, that's part of why I left Park City so many years ago because uh, I am. Oh, let's see. Last time I did cocaine was ten years ago. So that was that and alcohol were my drugs of choice. And okay. so ten years no cocaine, and uh, next month will be four years no alcohol, which is good for you. Been my yeah. hardest struggle. I started out. Uh, my map of scars, I call it. Uh, Ooh, I like was, that. Uh, map of scars. Uh, I was five years old, and my 
dad had a 12-pack of natural light in the fridge. And my very LDS grandma came over and uh, saw this 12-pack of beer and absolutely freaked out. Wrote off my dad for a long time. (laughs) And he told her, well, don't worry, it's fake beer. So my little mind, I'm like, oh, fake beer. Awesome. I'm going to try this. So I grabbed that 12-pack and I ride it over to my uh, friend's house down the street in the trailer park we were growing up in. And... So I had to drink quite a few of them. And of the was, fake beer? Yeah. Did you no, get it fake was, drunk? It was very real. It was a very real drunk, too. And uh, on my right knee here, it's my very first one. This little tiny scar was when I was drunk and crashed my back uh, at the ripe old age of five. And that is where my career of use started. So okay. I used, uh, I started breaking into, like, grandpa's liquor cabinet and stuff because he always had alcohol my grandpa was a huge alcoholic mm. and uh so started off with that and then uh we were at our babysitter's house i was about seven then wow. and uh uh we were pretending to smoke because she was a chain smoker she smoked palm on filterless while she was hooked up to oxygen Ballsy woman, wow. I'll tell you much, because I know hardcore people. people there. Right. Yeah, and uh, so we were pretending to smoke, and she's like, "You little bastards want to smoke? I'll make you never want to smoke again." Oh yeah. Gets out a carton of Pall Mall filterless, makes us smoke the whole thing. We all get sick. Next day, we're stealing cigarettes from the local gas station, wow. and that continued for years. And that was at seven? That was at seven. So you start drinking at five. Wow. Yeah. And did you keep drinking after that? Yes. Um, not like all the time, but you know, it was like, oh, okay, well, mom and dad are having a party and uh, they don't notice beers are right. missing, you know, right. and uh, my parents would always have big parties and we always got into things. It was a huge culture of enabling while I was growing up. Wow. And my first arrest came at eight years old when wow. I... Uh, uh, was caught at the old dance that was on 13th East and 8600 South. Uh, I got caught stealing a pack of door owls. Oh my God. Wow. And this is what's crazy is the longer you maintain abstinence from drugs, like memories right. can come back and then you can like focus on yeah. it. It's so weird. Uh, in my schooling, uh, talks about the neuroplasticity and like certain percentage of it can grow back. So that just blew my mind that I remembered even what kind of cigarettes they were from over 30 years ago. When they arrested you at age eight, did they cuff you? Um, No, they did not cuff me, uh, but they did have me up in the office. I was terrified. How bad? Yeah, uh, and everything. And so, yeah, that's when uh, my plethora of charges began because I've been in and out of trouble my whole life, and it's all been centered around, like, uh, high-risk behavior due to some sort of uh, uh, mind-altering substance. Sure. So your parents, they would have parties and stuff, but it doesn't mean they were alcoholics, right? Were, no, my was, parents. Uh, were yeah. they alcoholics? Um, my dad, I don't think, no, I'd say my dad. Yeah, both my parents are. So it was a yeah. family affair. Yes, okay. yes, and it's been that way, like, on... My dad's side, they were the very LDS, uh, like, never saw any of them used except for one uncle, but he always seemed to have it in control. Yeah. Uh, my dad owned the, was co-owner, co-operator of the world's first 
Kentucky Fried Chicken for most of my life. And uh, so he... On State Street. Right across from where we are right now at Meadowbrook, uh, or where I... Yeah, so brings back a lot of memories. Yeah. Wow. So, what happened that you were as you grew up? Then you said you had a whole bunch of problems. But oh. I mean, you went to high school and. Oh well, I dropped out of high school several times, but uh, I continued using. Another memory is when we went to Yellowstone in Jackson Hole, and my parents had a bunch of friends with us. We were in the back of the truck going from our campsite to Yellowstone. They had a bunch of uh, Mickey's, Big Mouse, and. Country club. Mickey's malt liquor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Randall's because, like. Well, yeah. being a good old alcoholic. Yeah. We, we drank that in, in Country Club. And, oh, yeah. And, and High was, Point. Yeah. And yeah, because it had more alcohol than yeah. regular beer. And I really never cared until, you know, I just wanted to get as messed up as I possibly right. could. I'm trying to watch my language as po- the best as possible. So I apologize to those listening. I. I'm still working on my filter. It's taken 40 years, and it just comes out sometimes. So I'm you're okay. <laughs> you are uh, okay. But I just remember getting all hammered in the back of the truck at like I think it was eight at this point, and uh, my parents had to pull over the truck because I was acting up really hard in the back. And I remember going to the front seat, throwing up all over them, <laughs> and then not remembering anything else until like the next day. So that was my first blackout. And that started... And you were how old? I was seven or eight then. A blackout at seven or eight? Yeah. That's... Yeah. I thought I started young at like 13 or 14, but boy, you're a veteran. (laughs) (laughs) At 13 or 14. Oh, man. And uh, life kept progressing. I kept experimenting with like alcohols that I could find, beach schnapps, whatever. I remember... uh, my first guitar teacher, he took me to go see Megadeth and Suicidal Tendencies at nine, and they were passing around a bottle of pre-mixed Sex on the Beach in the back seat of that car. Wow. And I got to have some of that, go to that concert. I remember wow. just raiding the parents' liquor cabinet and everything, and going on and on until I tried marijuana at 12 when I was in my first band. And uh, trying marijuana, then getting more into alcohol, developing that rock and roll lifestyle. First suicide attempt was around 11 years old. Uh, What was it for? When you were 11, yeah, the suicide attempt, what made you want to? I grew up in a, even though my parents didn't get divorced until I was like 17, uh, lots of abuse. And my dad worked a lot and lots of addiction around and uh i know my mom knows a lot about my suicide attempts because i was always very open about them but i don't think she knows about this one and so okay okay yeah okay which is fine and i don't mind i'm very open about everything um and she ends up listening to this uh yeah Surprise. Mom, this is a spoiler alert so just tune out for a second here and uh so this uh, was uh, trying to cut my wrist, and I didn't do it right, you know, obviously. Uh, and I was doing it with a butter knife, and I just kept trying, and it didn't work. But that's where I developed uh, my self-harm. Okay. Um, yeah. I did some cutting, but I didn't really do a lot of cutting. I still have a lot of burns and some scars from some of my cuttings, but I would hit myself. 
Um, mm. And I, I think was, it's important because you're at a, we're we're around this really young age and we don't talk about this enough in in, in schools, right? And I oh, think yeah. that I mean, it's we getting should. a lot of publicity right now with like eleven and twelve year olds right. you know, dying by suicide. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And I think. For so long, like mental health and addiction mm-hmm. has just been this taboo. Sweep it under the rug. We don't want the neighbors yeah, to find out. Yeah, we don't out. talk about yeah. it. It's we don't not talk happening. about it. We don't want anyone to know about it. But you know what is so goddamn important is talking about it. Exactly. Because if we don't talk about it, if we are not open and communicating, mm-hmm. then we're just going to, like, look at where the world is. And it's all because of, like, mm-hmm. lack of communication and lack of understanding. Because mm-hmm. when we're not open... We're not able to understand, and that's one of the most important things: is being able to understand where someone's coming from. Because you never know, like, what kind of struggle someone has. Right. You never know if, like, this little 11, 12, 13 year old kid, what the hell they're going through. Because the world is so focused now on like what TikTok's doing, how you have to mm-hmm. look, how you have to act, yeah. you know. And the world's always had that, especially growing up. You know, I got to grow up uh, watching MTV, like all the beginnings of like that. Uh, idolization to where it is now and it's so stressful for young people at this point because there's just so much pressure on them to be like this perfect TikTok model they all have to do that and it's just like how do we have conversations now instead of like being open and honest we're like Let's just see how wild and far we can push this, you know? Right. And Which then is, we get someone courageous like you, and that's why I was asking, because you're, you're willing to share your story and be courageous. So the world is listening to hear that I was 11 and I attempted suicide. Yeah, and, and, and you said understanding's a key. And I'm, you know, when I read these stories about an 11 or 12-year-old yeah. dying by suicide, it's, I'm, I'm trying to understand what's going on in that person's mind. Mm-hmm. Right. And how it could be prevented. I mean, what was going on in your mind yeah. saying at, the, at that age, saying, I, I don't want to live anymore? Trauma. Yeah. Uh, lots yeah. of abuse. Um, uh, a lot of pressure. I was already, you know, heavily using alcohol mm-hmm. and everything. Yeah. And dealing with, like, really strong depression and everything at such a young age. Um, uh, depression happens a lot in my family and so it hit and I was already self-medicating with that and uh, self-destructive behaviors and self-harm and I just felt natural like a lot of times that's when I started developing the idea that the world would be better without me and I lived with that I still live with that and I still do that work every day to know that like I deserve good shit and I can help someone deserve that you know find that they deserve that because uh, I have a hard time with that still Mm -hmm. but I know how to recognize it And I've developed really good coping skills through the last four years to realize that. Because I feel like a lot of my substance abuse and using was a way to try to find a way to, like, either die or face it. And now 
I know how to face it. And it's really, really amazing. Because I never thought I was deserving of it. Are you deserving of it now? Yeah. And I have found purpose. And uh, it's taken so long. Like, I remember, like, because I've been playing guitar since I was six. And I kept thinking that was my purpose, you know? And I was going to be this huge rock star. Like, that was, like, all my purpose. That was, like, my whole outlet growing up. And I developed this. I ended up being in some bands. We, like, got really close, it seemed, but I think every local band, every even though we went on, like, a couple small tours, played, like, a couple shows out of state, you know, we were like, oh, we're going to make it. Yeah, <laughs> but, you know, maybe. Can I, I have your autograph, please? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, then addiction took that, too. Right. You know, my alcoholism, as well as other members uh, and their yeah. drugs of choice, which... You know, death metal, that kind of goes hand in hand. And now I'm realizing there's a lot of sober death metal bands, and that's really inspiring to me, too. So mm, cool. it helps out a lot, and they have really good messages. Heaven shall burn, put that out there. Uh, <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I've had to learn coping mechanisms. I have tried to get rid of substances, like, throughout throughout my whole life. I've had people, like, recognizing my substance abuse throughout my whole life. Uh, an ex-girlfriend, everything. Uh, when I was, like, my first girlfriend. And she realized what I was doing and tried helping me. But I just decided it was like, oh, whatever. I'm going to go and get high with my brothers right. and friends instead. It's not a problem. I yeah. just want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know, like, throughout my <clears throat> teenage years, it was always alcohol, marijuana, and hallucinogens. And we would some wild stuff it was fun but it was also like wow um how are we alive yeah i yeah. mean you started at such a young age so you're you're rock and roll you're partying you know you had this whole dream that you're just gonna rock and roll and party what changed for you how did you get out of that yeah. lifestyle i mean it started so young that it's almost oh. unimaginable well Ah, uh, man, so many, like, arrests and court stuff and just lying and everything. Because I found that when I was, like, in active use, like, I had no problem being a compulsive liar. It was okay. totally fine. Sure. I totally justified it and kind of gave me this way of, like, trying to tell stories. And I would tell some friggin' doozies, you know. And, uh, <laughs> like, I'm allergic to peanuts and just like I'll die and it's like why am I doing that or this just stupid stuff it was like I just felt like my life wasn't good enough mm -hmm. so I had to develop this character to make it feel like I was so much more than I really was instead of like trying to find and embrace myself so what happened is going through bands going through different like you know just heavy use, everything like that, uh, surrounding people that were toxic and enablers, sure. you know. Uh, and then, God, I met one, and uh, she uh, met her when uh, I was leaving Park City. It's how I found cocaine, and uh, she introduced me to it. We ended up dating for, like, a year and living together and just, like, lots of cocaine, lots of partying, and lots of just weirdness and that brought more self-doubt more trauma 
to my table and uh, that lasted for like, oh, almost a decade. Mm. And even after I met my wife and got married and everything, like this one still had her claws in me. And it was just so crazy how like we can be so codependent, even mm. on like oh, yeah. people that are so toxic for us. But okay. we just have this feeling like, no, 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 there's, they're, they're like my sister. They're my best friend. Like, yeah. But we can't, we've got the blinders on because we're just like, oh, we need to keep focusing on this. And in turn, it's just more toxic and more enabling. And that happened for, this was about five years ago, six years ago, when that toxicity finally got out of my life. But then I kept partying. Well, I wouldn't even say it was partying. It was just like, I've been general managing restaurants in Park City for the last uh, six years now. And just the stress the expectations, everything, uh, being told, if you prove yourself, if you prove yourself, then you can have this. And then you prove yourself and you're still mm. not getting this. But, you know, we'll dangle that carrot. We'll dangle that carrot. And uh, we keep getting that in our heads, you know, like, this is okay to be treated like that. Like, it's okay yeah. for someone to not really respect us because we're not respecting ourselves. So mm. we'll just keep chasing that carrot, even though it's not ever going to come and grasp and uh, so I had that happening, kept having that happening. And I was selling weed on the side too, just, you know, because my alcohol habit was $600, $700 a week. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. Going to the bars, yeah, you sure, know, sure. buying everything. And so to help finance that, I was selling some weed too. And of course, when you're at the bar, uh, you and you're, absolutely out of your mind you're gonna be loud and talking to the wrong people uh about four years ago uh driving home from the restaurant i was managing and i get a call from my wife don't go home we're being raided oh. and so i'm like oh shit oh shit what am i gonna do like you know just all of a sudden like everything's crashing down you know mm -hmm. like everything was already like pretty much broken anyways because that's how we do when we're heavily using we don't have a sure. good foundation sure. what we have is a like creaky boards and then all of a sudden everything's crashing down we're being yeah. raided and uh so i'm like what the hell's going on uh finally got all clear that the cops were gone that i'm gonna have to talk to them turn myself in everything like that so i'm just like what the hell's going on what the hell's going on uh so go home assess the damage everything and the next day, I have to go talk to my boss, let him know about what happened. And the next day was my day off, and that's when I was going to turn myself in. So I turned myself in to the Wasatch County Sheriff's, and I'm laying there in jail. Like, am I getting out this time? Because every other time, like, the longest stint in jail I ever spent was, like, 24 hours. And while I'm laying there, I'm like, am I getting out this time? Like... It, what's going to happen and that's a heavy question too yeah yeah when you're laying there and <clears throat> it's three in the morning and you can't sleep because you know you're withdrawing even though like 
it was only like a day, but I drank so much that yeah. like I was getting uh, the tremors, everything yeah, like all dangerous. the time. And I, yeah. So I'm laying there, I'm withdrawing. I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm like, I'm going to do, if I get out of here, I'm going to do whatever the hell it takes to never mm. do this again. Cause I would like have so many instances where it's like, I would do something stupid DUI or like in jail or fall and, whack my head on something and be like, okay, I'm going to stop. I'm going to do it this time. I'd go like three months and I'd be like, awesome, I've got this under control. You know what? I can have just a drink and I'll be totally (laughs) fine. Then I would have just a drink and it would turn into 47 and I'd wake up in jail the next day wondering what the hell happened. And it just happened all the time. And I would be like, oh, I've got this under control. Or I'd be like, I'm in a restaurant. It's a job requirement <laughs> to uh, know yeah. what the alcohol tastes like. And that's bullshit. It is not. <laughs> right. Like, so I'm laying there and I made a, a pact with myself. I had just gotten done with this um, cognitive behavioral therapy treatment that I was required to do because mm. of uh, uh, another arrest. I had just gotten done with it. And the next week I'm in jail because uh, getting raided. And the whole time I was in that CBT training, I was like, I'm just going to bullshit my way through this and I'll just go right back to using. And then I'm in jail. And so all the stuff that uh, uh, I learned at Expansive Horizons, it was an outpatient up in Heber, um, all came flooding to me. And I was like, okay, if I get out of here, I'm going to do whatever I can do. And I all kept coming back to alcohol. It's me, I'm the problem. The alcohol Mm -hmm. is the problem. And I'm going to do whatever it takes so that I am not the problem and the other outside problem isn't going to be there. Um, Lyle, I think that we're almost out of time, so I would love for you to tell the world where you're at today. Who are you and where are you today? Where I am at today after... All of this, uh, being general managers of restaurants. The restaurant shut down for three months. During that time, I went from 70 hours a week to nothing. Mm-hmm. I started cooking, started like doing so much mindfulness training. I run five miles a day now. Wow. I have lost over 100 pounds. I You weighed 100 pounds more than you do now? Yeah. I... Wow cook i he's a really good cook clean i'm gonna go home and make vegan bolognese he said he's gonna bring me a vegan bowl that's all i heard yeah yeah, yeah. so bolognese it's one of my favorite dishes to make it's a (laughs) traditional italian meat sauce i was gonna say that sort of doesn't make sense because bolognese means meat sauce yeah i'm gonna make it with beyond uh oh okay some mushrooms okay yeah um and during this time i started working with my wife's cousin who works at a facility up in Wasatch County at Aqua. My wife was in rehab at the time and I got so inspired and the restaurants reopened and I went from like spending time with my family again, being in touch with myself, falling in love with myself, which is really weird. (laughs) And I was like, how do I give back to this community? And Shay Sharon hooked me up with the Sud C program at Utah Valley University. Mm-hmm. I am in the last semester of my Sud C classes right now. Yay. I've never been to college. I'll have my associate's degree after the summer course, but I'll have all my Sud C stuff done uh, middle of May. 
and uh, I am devoted to myself and helping others find their voice. And uh, you'll never fully overcome the addiction, but uh, at least finding the coping mechanisms that will help you live day to day and see all of this shit and realize that you can face it. That no matter how hard it is, you can face it. It takes practice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A lot. The other day someone asked, what's the success rate of this program, right? Mm -hmm. And it got me thinking. And how I answered was, the success rate of this program is what you make it. If you come in here, do all the work, learn everything, leave here, continue doing all the work, keep doing that process, mm -hmm. keep following through with everything that you're working on, you have a much greater chance of succeeding in, uh, your, mm -hmm. uh, in your program. But if you come in here, just fuck around the program mm -hmm. and leave here, you're going to have a 0% chance of success. Right. No matter what program. It no matter matter. what program, yeah. yeah. And yeah. if you come in and you don't come out if you're still doing the work, because it is like having two full-time jobs in your head. Mm -hmm. And yeah, right. you are having it's to do way. that work. You're having to have the coping mechanisms there. What I do, I have Fit to Recover. Um, I used to go way more. Now, like, yeah. I'm, I'm Thursday mornings in boot camp. That's about yeah. what I can do. But I'm... In, school full-time work full-time and everything uh i have that i have so much sober support I found it in rachel i found it in other people in sure. the ftr community uh the sober punks group on facebook they're based out of the uk and it's just a bunch of other weird goofy like so cool people that are sober and like some people it's one day some people it's multiple years and we just boost each other up and that is so cool. Yeah, so it's finding your supports and doing the work. It doesn't have to be AA. It doesn't have to be rational recovery. doesn't have to be any other. It doesn't have to be anyone else's program because it's your program. And what I do is multiple different aspects of multiple different things. Yeah. Uh, heavily on the smart recovery, rational recovery is how I do a lot of my work. Mm -hmm. But like you can take little aspects of every little thing and turn it into your program and work it. And one of my favorite things that I hear is it works if you work it. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. very true. And That's the way we closed all our groups when yeah. I was in IOP. Yeah. It yeah. works if you work it. Yeah. You find your program, you work it. You do the work and it is the most worthwhile thing. Like Fall in love with yourself. Those of you that are struggling, that's one of the things like that. We may not ever feel we can do it, but it is so worthwhile. If you can find the ways to do it, mm -hmm. fall in love with yourself. Because that's the only person. Ever, people come and go. Family comes and go. You are the only one there in your life always. So find a way to do that. Yeah. Find your program. You're a real inspiration. Yeah. You've inspired me. I'll stay sober another day. Absolutely. See? With that, I'll take 24. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Lyle, I, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, glad you, I'm glad you introduced Lyle to our audience and to me. Thank you. It's been yeah, a pleasure. Welcome. It's been a pleasure. I appreciate you guys. 
check out the podcast. Uh, you know what? Treat others like you want to be treated and be nice to yourself and be nice to those around you because you never know what anyone else is going through and it doesn't hurt to smile. Let's all smile. Amen. Uh, Thank you, brother. Absolutely. Thank (laughs) Thank you. you for watching another edition of Odyssey House Journals.